chapter 6 here. Luke chapter 6. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 27 through 36. And let's do the smart thing and let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, you wrote it, and we just want to hear what you have to say. As always, I pray your spirit teaches. And for all the classrooms going on in the back, for those that couldn't be with us today, just all things, Lord, just pray you'd be with it and pray that we keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you. And always, Lord, we give you our nation for godly wisdom and direction. We give you our military and pray that your hand be upon all things. In your name, amen. Now, if we had all the time, it'd be great to do verses 27 through 49 as one continuous thought. We don't have the time to do all those verses to give it its full due. So, follow God's train of thought here real quick. Look at verse 27. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That's a powerful verse. That's a tough verse. So, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, generally when we hear love your enemies, first thing we think of is generally you want me to love them, you don't know what they've done, you don't know what they're like. Well, then we jump to verse 37. Judge not, and you should not be judged. God says, don't sit there and try to figure out their heart, and you don't know what they're doing or what they're like. Because he also then says in verses 41 and 42, you have specks in your eye, you have planks in your eye, you have problems in your life, so don't be so quick to judge other people when there's areas in your life that you need to work on. And then he says in verses 43 through 45, don't worry, the truth comes out. Because this is what happens then. We say, okay, fine, I won't judge, but they're going to get away with it. No, they're not going to get away. The truth will come out, verses 43 through 45. And what matters mostly is verses 46 through 49, is that is your foundation built on Christ. So just follow the logic there. Love your enemies. Verse 37, don't judge them. Verses 41 and 42, be careful on a judgmental attitude towards others when we have areas in our life we need to work on. The truth will come out, verses 43 through 45, and what matters most is the foundation on Jesus, 46 through 49. That's an overview of what we're going to do here for the next couple weeks. But let's go back to verse 27. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That is a tough verse. A lot of people have been wronged. A lot of people have been hurt. A lot of people have been frustrated by what other people have done to them. That happens. And I every now and then run into people that have been so hurt, so wronged, they feel like they have an excuse to harbor anger and evil towards other people. That there's a limit of Christian love. Okay, I put up with the whole lot. But this person has crossed the line. So since this person has crossed the line, I no longer am held to love my enemies because what this person did is so horrible. God says I have a free pass to harbor anger towards them. It doesn't work that way. Jesus set the example hanging on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Christ set the example for us to not allow anger and evil to harbor in our souls. He says you need to forgive them. And move on. And sometimes you need to forgive them even if they don't say they're sorry. That's the hard part. No, I'll forgive them when they come back begging me. No. Sometimes you need to forgive even when they don't say they're sorry. Because if you choose not to, you're allowing that anger and that bitterness to overtake you. Somebody sent me a note one time, and I hope I get the wording right. They said anger, bitterness, resentment. It's like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. And that's the truth of it. I've seen people get so angry and so upset over something that someone's done to them. And they were wrong. There's no doubt about it. They were wrong. But God says, you need to forgive and let it go and move forward. Now, that's hard to do. Jesus set the example, though, for us. And let's build on what he did. Can you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? 
Let's talk a little bit more detail about this. 1 Peter chapter 3. We all have people in our life that are difficult for us. All of us have somebody like that. We all have people in our life that would be really easy to hold a grudge and anger against them. Sometimes that's people you work with. Sometimes that's people you go to school with. Sometimes that's people you live with. Sometimes that's people you're married to. It's hard. It's difficult. So the first point is we need to be like Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He set the example for us. What's the next point? Next point is don't go down to their level. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Don't go down to their level. I see this happen all the time. Well, they said something about me, so I say something about them. They're talking about me behind my back at work, so I'm going to talk about them behind their back. They raise their voice, I raise my voice. They use words they shouldn't use, I use. I'm just fighting fire with fire. No, you're not supposed to do that. Verse 9, do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. In fact, Luke says in just a few verses, you're supposed to pray for those people. Pray for them. You know how tough that is to do? You know how tough it is to not go down to their level? Happens out here a lot at church. We get letters, emails, phone calls from people within the community, people within the body, people outside the body, and they're angry or upset about something that we've done. I I remember it wasn't too long after I took over out here as the pastor, we got a letter from an organization in the community, and they were just irate with us over something we did. Just an irate. And they're like, where did this come from? And you get worked up, you get upset, you get bothered. I remember one time I got a letter from somebody, and his final three words of the letter were very simply just repent, repent, repent. That's what he told me. It's easy to get worked up about that. It's easy to get arced up and you want to do verse 9, return evil for evil and reviling for reviling. It's hard to do the blessing part. A while ago out here at church I gave a message, and during that message I talked about a, uh, a different religion. And I made a comment about that religion. Nothing I thought was angry, nothing about it. It was a comment about their theology and what they believed and how it differs from Christianity. Well, what happened was I got a phone call. And I'm just going to pick a random name, and the name I picked was Bob. And it didn't work out well, because at the 830 service I had three Bobs. And so they all wanted to know what they did. But it was just randomly picking this name, Bob. This guy calls up out here at church. I'm out here talking to somebody, and Nancy pops her head out the office, and she says, "Uh, Bob's on the phone, wants to talk to you, line one. Okay, I like Bob, I know Bob. So... Talk to Bob. Get on the phone. And Bob goes, hi, this is Bob. I, had, I was wondering if someone could answer a Bible question for me. I love Bible questions. That's one of my favorite things to do is when someone contacts me. And people usually contact and say, hate to bother you. But I was reading in Luke the other day and I love those questions. So I, I, I yeah, I love to answer questions. So he asked this question. I thought, okay. So I answer it. And as soon as I give my answer, it, he just unloads on me. Just unloads. Goes on for about 20, 25 minutes. Just unloading about passages. But what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And so I would give maybe a couple word answer. And before I could even finish the answer, well, what about this? And it just goes on and on and on. And while this is going on, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what what am I supposed to do with this conversation? Finally, after about 20 minutes, I had an appointment to go to. And I said, Bob, I said, I got to get going. I said, got to get going. And he says, well, can we talk some more sometime? And I said, sure, feel free to call back. You know, and I said, I got to get going here. I'm not trying to cut you off, but I got to get going. 
Well, about six months goes by, phone rings out here at church. I answer the phone. Hi, this is Bob. I was wondering if there was someone there that could answer a Bible question for me. Same exact wording. I said, Bob? He goes, yeah. I said, Bob, this is James. I said, we, we talked a few months ago. And then he goes through the same spiel, and I interrupted him for a second. And this time, I, I was a little more aggressive. The first time, I just wanted to feel him out. What was he thinking? What was he saying? Just waiting for that opportunity for the Lord to open a door, and it never happened. I walked away from that conversation feeling defeated. Like, oh, man, if Bob ever calls back, I'm going to tell him this verse. I'm going to tell him this passage. I'm going to tell this because I bet you Bob's thinking he beat me, and Bob did not beat me. No, no, no. So Bob calls back. So Bob starts being aggressive again, and I say to Bob, I say, um, Bob, I said, listen, I don't know what's going on here, but I, I think you're asking me setup questions. I, I, don't, I don't think your heart is seeking for the truth. I, I think you just want to argue. He goes, you can read minds now, huh? He goes, this is what he said. I'm not, I'm not, he goes, you, can you do parlor tricks? Show me a parlor trick. You can read minds now? And I went like, boy, Bob, if you were here in the flesh, I'd show you a parlor trick, you know? <laughs> so... It got really frustrating, and Bob didn't want to talk. He just wanted to do his thing. So I finally said, listen, Bob, I'm in a meeting right now. i got three other people in my office. I said, how about email? How, how about you give me your email address? I said, we can email back and forth. Brian gives me his email. So I, 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 the next day or a couple days later, I can't remember, I wrote him an email, not deep, not theological, just threw out a couple opinions of what I had and what I think and some of the stuff that was said. And he emailed me back this dissertation. Just full of everything. And in this email, he calls me a baby. I'm not fit to be a pastor. I can't handle the meat of the word, only milk. I'm just utterly confused. And he made some comment in there about, if you ever want to respond to these, which I highly doubt you ever will. Oh, now that, that's fighting words. I want to meet Bob. I want to meet Bob. So I showed the email to Dawn. And Dawn said, do you, do you realize what the enemy's doing? She goes, the enemy just wants to take up your time. And she quoted the verse, you can't throw pearls to swine. And I thought of the verse in Proverbs where it says, if you do not perceive in somebody out of their lips wisdom, depart from them. And I realized Bob's not looking for truth. If someone's looking for truth, we'll talk to him. But Bob just wants to argue. So Dawn's like, don't even respond to him. Don't even respond. Now, my flesh wants to respond. My flesh wants to go back to verse 9. I want to return evil for evil. I want to return reviling for reviling. I want to have an argument with this guy. I want to give him my verses. I want to give him my two takes on it. I want, to, I want to show him what I know and how smart I am. And I don't want Bob to get saved. I just want to win the argument with Bob. I don't care about Bob's eternal soul right this second. I just want Bob to know that I know more than Bob. And I realize I'm wrong for that. So I was praying about what do I do? Do I just ignore it? Because the Bible says in some instances like that, just ignore it. Jesus didn't respond, but my flesh wants to say something. So this verse came to mind right here. I'm supposed to, on the contrary, give him blessing. So I responded back, one sentence, said, I will look over the verses you gave. I put the passage out of the book of Acts where it says the Bereans were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. And I said, I'll look at the verses, sign my name, and I put at the bottom, I put, P.S., is there anything I can pray for you or your family about? I thought, I'm just going to give this guy blessing. Luke said, pray for your enemies. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for this guy. And I'm not going to pray that the Lord teaches him a really hard lesson. I'm not going to pray that Bob has a run-in with a bolt of lightning. I'm going to pray that Bob is blessed. And I literally mean that. I want this man to be blessed, and I'm going to pray a blessing on him. There's a great passage in Romans where it talks about how we're supposed to bless others. And it's a really interesting word. 
because it's a word that we get our English word eulogize. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. I've done lots of funerals. And when you do a funeral, you take the person's life and you just get their highlights. You don't mention all the negative stuff. You just bless them. You eulogize them. You just say the good stuff. What God says to do sometimes with those enemies is to pray for them and bless them. We had a situation a while ago out here at church where there was an individual making some very serious accusations about some things. Flesh gets riled up. You want to go say something. You want to sit down and have a heart-to-heart, which is really code for let's argue. And I really realized, just pray for this person. Because when you're praying for your enemy, it's really difficult to be angry at them. That's not original thought. I've heard that by so many pastors. When you pray for your enemy, Lord, give Bob a good day today. Lord, bless Bob today. I pray that you'd go before him. I pray that you'd give Bob health. Lord, I pray that you'd bless Bob's family. And sincerely... Give that over to them. All of a sudden, that anger and that evil and that reviling starts to disappear, and you generally say, I want this person to be blessed. That's what Jesus means by praying for your enemies. That's why saying bless and not curse. Sometimes it's hard to find something good to say about them. It is hard. Romans says you're supposed to think good of all people. You know how difficult it is to find sometimes a sliver of goodness in certain people? So be generic. Lord, just bless their day. It really, honestly works. Now, what happens for me? It's Bob, a guy I've had a couple phone calls with, exchanged a couple emails with. What happens if this is a person you work on the same shift 10, 11, 12 hours a day? What happens if this is somebody that you live with? This is someone you're married to. This is your kids. This is your family. What happens then when it's not just I can shut the phone and the email off? I'm around this person constantly. How do I not go down to their level? How do I not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling? Stay in 1 Peter. Let's look at the example of Jesus. Jump over to chapter 2, please. Let's see how Christ handled this here. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus set the example for us. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus said, I'm not going to go down to their level. They want to use anger, I'm not going to use anger. They want to get into an argument, I'm not going to get into an argument. I am not going to go down to their level. If you fight fire with fire, both of you get burned. I will bless them. I will bless them sincerely in my heart. Now here's the problem. A lot of us don't curse them openly in public because we have a nice facade we like to keep. Now privately... Privately with our circle, maybe just with our spouse. How was work today? Oh, for crying out loud, I had to work with Bob again. Sorry, if there's a Bob here at the 10 o'clock, I'm sorry. I picked the most generic name I could think of. I had to work with Bob again today. Oh, I know, you hate working with Bob. I hate working with Bob. Okay. Just because it's privately with your own spouse doesn't make it okay. I shared that point at a lesson a while ago, and someone emailed me saying that it was okay, because since you're one flesh with your spouse, it's really like talking to yourself, which I thought that was really, that was really cute. But I said that still doesn't count. But it was a really, really good point. So let's say you don't even talk about it with your spouse. How was work today? 
It was a difficult day. I worked with Bob, and we need to pray for Bob. Yes, we do. Okay, that's good. Problem is, your 20-minute car ride home, you're cursing Bob. <laughs> just because you're not doing it openly, just because you're not doing it publicly, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue that has to be dealt with where you stop and you say, I don't want to carry this anger, this resentment, this bitterness towards this person. Lord, bless them. And here's the truth of the matter, and you've heard me say this a hundred times out here. Generally speaking, not every time, generally these bobs that we're talking about, they're usually not saved. How many times have you heard us say out here, you can't expect Christian behavior from non-Christian people. If this person's not walking with the Lord, he's not worrying about his words and his actions and his witness. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Now, I don't say this to judge, because my heart was also deceitfully wicked, but thank the Lord I've been born again in Jesus Christ. Now I'm held to a different standard or different morals. The old person, oh, I could revile right back. I could return evil for evil. I could get into an argument right back too. The new person is held to a different standard. I don't go down to their level. And I need to stop and realize this person that I want to argue with probably is not walking with the Lord. So I can sit here and argue with them until I'm blue in the face. And really what it comes down to is do they know Jesus Christ? If they don't know Jesus Christ, then that's the main thing that needs to be dealt with. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not you versus that person. It's that person not being saved, being run by their emotions and their flesh that needs to come know Christ. It's difficult. It's difficult to hear this. It's difficult to respond to this. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans 12. We live in a world where constantly surrounded by people that have different mindsets and, and theological and ideological differences than we do. And it can get us riled up. We're a month away from an election. There's obviously two distinct points of view on many different things going on out there. And it just blows my mind sometimes as Christians. When somebody has a different ideological point of view that obviously may not line up with the scriptures, we sit there and think, well, it's okay for me to be angry at them. It's okay for me to say unbelievable things at them. It's okay for me to think thoughts that I wouldn't think towards anybody else because they're so wrong. No. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Pray for those who despitefully use you. We have to make sure that we never reach that point where we're saying, this person is so wrong, this person is so dumb, this person is so whatever, that I don't have to have kind thoughts towards them. No, Jesus set the example for us. Look here at Romans 12, please. Romans 12. Look at verse 17, please. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 18, do what you can. Here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes you can do everything you can to be peaceable with somebody, and they don't want to be peaceable back. There's nothing you can do about that. There are some people that just want to argue. There are some people that just want to fight. Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, here's the problem. We have a tendency to think, I can't let it go. Because if I let it go, that person's getting away with it. No one gets away with anything. See, if no one stands up to that person, that person's going to think they're right. If no one stands up to that person, that person's going to walk around saying, Look, I'm smarter than them. I'm better than them because I defeated them. That was my flesh. I wanted to battle Bob. Why? Just to prove I know more. God knows what's going on. He knows the full situation. He sees the big picture. Verse 19, he goes, I'll take care of it. Instead, what are we supposed to do? Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, 
feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. The best way to get back is I'm going to pray for that person. Lord, bless them. Lord, be with them. Lord, help their heart. There's obviously a lot of anger and frustration in that person. Lord, be with them. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you realize how many times the enemy allows that anger and frustration to get into our hearts? We're overcome with evil, and then we lose all perspective that the only thing that matters is whether souls are saved or not saved. We get ourselves so caught up in earthly matters that therefore when we're dealing with an eternal matter, it doesn't stack up because I'm really upset at this person. I can't worry about their soul right now. It's eternity is all that matters. Eternity is all that matters here. Jesus set the example for us. And I tell you right now, people, it works. Now, jump back to Luke 6, please, because this was the world's longest introduction. Luke 6. Here's the key phrase. Look at verse 27. But I say to you who hear. Some people don't want to hear this. See, some people hear this, and they say, everything you're saying is right. But this person, you don't know what they've done to me. This person, once again, is so wrong to me, so hurt me, I'm allowed to have anger and bitterness against them. I'm allowed to harbor unforgiveness against them. I'm allowed to. No. That, that bitterness, that anger is going to destroy you. Truth of the matter is, it's almost easier to forgive non-believers. Sometimes the most hurt I've been done is by somebody who claims Christ as their Savior. That's difficult. That's difficult when the person that's your enemy serves with you at church, sits near you at church. Satan loves to take little things and become big things. Satan loves to take disruptions and make them huge. And that's why we're told, love them, pray for them, look at the example that Jesus set, and live it. Don't go down to their level. Let's look at this now, verse 27. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Let's pray for them. Honest, sincere prayer for them. Verse 29. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Now I've heard people come up to me before and look at verse uh, 29 and say, You know what? Two chances. i got two cheeks. I'll give you two opportunities. Now after you wrong me twice, according to the Bible, I don't have any other cheeks to turn towards you. So I'm not going to do that. That's not the purpose of verse 29. The purpose of verse 29 is to say, you know what? You will be hurt in this world. You will be wronged. You need to have a forgiving heart like Jesus. Some of those angry people I've ever met are Christians that claim to know Christ that are controlled by bitterness over past things that have been done to them. Turn the other cheek, just like Jesus did. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be wrong. Can you imagine if Christ said, listen, everybody gets two shots. You wrong me twice, then all for eternity you're going to hell. That's all I'm doing. I'll give you two opportunities. None of us would have made it past two. Okay? So this is the purpose of what's saying here in verse 29 is you will be hurt. You will be wronged. It's a fact of life. It's going to happen. Christ says have a forgiving heart and attitude. Verse 29 and 30. People will take advantage of you. They will. You're going to give them your cloak and they're going to say I want your tunic. They will. Verse 30. They're going to come ask you for stuff. And guess what's going to happen? They may not respect your property. They may not return your property. They may return it beat up. You may never see it again. And what God is trying to say is, don't be so attached to a physical item that it affects you spiritually. 
Now, you may say, well, shouldn't they respect my property? You bet they should. I agree with that 100%. Problem is, some people don't. And you don't want to cause an eternal problem over something that's just physical on this earth. It's not worth it. Jesus says, you want the coat, take the coat. You want the tunic, take the tunic. Whatever you want, take it. Now, that's easier said than done. Because we say, you know, I work hard for this. I don't want anybody to damage this. I don't want this destroyed. I I don't want that stuff destroyed or damaged either. But at the same time, too, I have to realize when I'm letting someone be blessed, I have to realize the Lord sees it and takes care of it. And I have to trust that. Here's the problem. We have our little circle that we like. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. See, here's the thing. I have my little circle that I like, my circle that I trust. And so therefore, anybody in that little circle, oh, sure, take it, no problem. Oh, you need something? Whatever I can do to help. Here, what, what time do you want me to be there? Because you're in my circle. I like you. We're on the same level. Now, somebody outside my circle, all of a sudden I'm not as available to help. All of a sudden outside my circle, I don't have as many items to lend. All of a sudden outside my circle, I let things, don't let things go as much. See, if it's somebody I know real well, I'll say, oh, I know them. Don't worry about it. I, I'm sure those words that they said didn't come across the way they meant. No big deal. And I hope that you would do the same to me if there's something I say sometime that kind of hurts your feelings. I hope you would say, boy, I know James well enough to know that I don't think he meant anything bad by that. Or if something would happen, you would say, I know you well enough to know I can let that go. See, but the problem is, when you're outside the circle, I'm watching you with one eye the entire time. And I start wondering, why'd you say that? Why'd you think that? See, and this is what happens. We start then getting into other people's minds. And we start saying, I wonder why they said it. I bet I know why they said that. I bet I know what they meant. And then all of a sudden, we have this miraculous gift of the Spirit to read other people's thoughts. Now, here's the problem. Every now and then, somebody will say, but I'm usually right on these things. Okay, usually is a very key word. You may be right nine times out of ten, but that still means one time out of ten, you have no idea what that person's thinking or feeling. You have no idea why they said it. Maybe it came across the wrong way and it was not their intention. Well, it had to be their intention. Why? Because I know what they thought. We don't know. We don't know anything. So therefore, we pray for them. We think the best of all people. We try not to let the words bring us down. And we have to remember verses 32, 33, and 34. My circle needs to expand. Because the bigger I expand my circle, the more opportunities I have to show the love of Jesus to people. The Bible uses this phrase, sphere of influence. If I keep my little circle small, only people I know and trust and love, how am I ever going to expand to get a chance to talk to more people? Truth of the matter is, as you open up your window to more people, you're opening up yourself to get hurt more. You're opening up yourself to have more people say things about you. You're opening yourself up for more pain. But you're opening yourself up for more ministry opportunities as well. Remember, Jesus died on the cross for every person, even those people that don't want to accept him. Look at verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Look at the last part of verse 35. Let that sink in. He's kind to the unthankful and evil. Wow. 
That means God is kind to the unthankful and evil. See, I run into someone who's unthankful and evil, and I think in my heart, boy, God has a hard time with him too. No, he doesn't. God loves him. God loves him. So right now, we probably all have somebody in our head that's an enemy, that's unthankful, that's evil. God says, I love that person. Can you love them too? And this is where it's important. Can you love them too? See, your flesh is not able to love them. You can't. Your, your, your flesh is not able to do this. That's why the bobs of this world, I, I want to call them back. I want to talk to them again. I want to have an argument with them. That's why I want to raise my voice sometimes when I talk to people. That's why I want to go over to someone's house and give them a good talking to. Why? Because my flesh is not looking out for what's best for them. My flesh is looking out for me. See, when I get born again and saved in Christ, this word love, it's a Greek word that means agape. It's a God-given love that I can say James would want harm to that person. But actually, the Holy Spirit living inside me wants to see that person come to know Christ and be blessed. That's the change. So when I run into somebody who can't love and forgive and let go, that's a hard issue between them and the Lord that they have to start working out. Because if they can accept the forgiveness and grace and mercy of Christ and the unconditional love of God, why can't they pass along the forgiveness, grace, and mercy and unconditional love of Christ? See, look at verse 36. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. That word mercy means not getting what someone deserves. We have run into many people in this world that deserve the tongue lashing. They deserve the the heartache, the pain. They deserve all that. God says, in mercy, we don't do that. The only way you can really honestly do that is if your heart has been touched by Christ. When you see him on the cross and you realize what he did for you, you can pass that along to other people. Does this mean you won't ever get bothered, frustrated, worked up? No. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is we're a work in progress. And when I feel those emotions coming on, God help me. God help me to love my enemies. Last verse, look at verse 31. It goes back to kindergarten. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. I want you to have a forgiving heart towards me when I say something dumb. So I'm going to have a forgiving heart towards you. I want you to think the best of me so that way you don't walk out of here saying, well, I know why James said that because James doesn't like me. No. I don't want you to think that about me, so I'm not going to think that about you. I'm not going to analyze your thoughts and actions. You're not going to analyze my thoughts and actions. If you do something to wrong me, I'm just going to try to give it over to the Lord and let it go. And you know what? If you do it again, I'll try to do it again. Now, if the Lord leads to come say something, well, then I'll let the Lord lead and say something. But a lot of times, I just let it go. And I hope you can do the same towards me and towards others. Let's treat other people the way we want to be treated. Christ set the example for us. This is one of those messages where the idea of it is really, really simple. It's that follow-through that's hard. And I just want to warn you right now. If you're sitting here and you're touched by this message, and you say, okay, Lord, I want to be that type of person. I don't want anger to control me. I don't want bitterness to control me. And and I'm going to watch my tongue. And I'm going to be careful in what I say and do. And I'm going to do this. And I mean it. Do you realize what's going to happen as soon as you leave this church? Or maybe even before you leave this church? Someone's going to say something. Your spouse is going to make some wisecrack. That person at work is going to be difficult. That cashier at that restaurant or whatever is going to be something. You're going to get bad service. You're going to run into somebody who's going to tempt you and test you in this area. You're going to. Because that's 
the world we live in. And you have to really stop and say, okay, Lord, I really want this. I really want to be the man or woman of God that loves my enemies as you told us to. I want to. Now, once again, you may be thinking, there's a flip side to this, James. Sometimes we don't let everything go. Sometimes we have to correct wrongs. Sometimes we have to point out the things that are causing harm in others. And we will. That's verses 27 through 4, excuse me, verses 37 through 49. Sometimes you do have to correct those wrongs. Sometimes you do have to make a stand. But when you're making a stand and you're putting your foot down, why are you doing it? Are you doing it in love because you care about this person's soul? Are you doing it to prove your point, to show that you know more than them and you're not going to let anybody walk on you? Just check your heart and check your motives. Make sure it's done in the love and mercy and grace of Christ. Let's remember that. You guys can come forward here for the final song. As they're getting ready for the final song, let's just pray about this. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, help us to love as you love. Help us to show mercy as you show mercy. Lord, help us to pray for those people that hurt us and harm us and say things. Lord, we don't want to be run by the flesh. We want to be run by the Spirit. And Lord, we lift this up in your name. Amen.